0: Job is a man who lives life with integrity. You see that word coming up a number of times in the first two chapters. It has to do with him doing the right thing, wanting to do the right thing, doing the right thing. And it also has to do with holding together when life wants to tear him apart. And so there's wisdom for us in the book of Job about how to deal with the tough stuff of life while doing the right thing, being people of integrity, and doing that in a context where life wants to tear us apart, holding together, staying together, when life tears us apart. And that's true for us as individuals and as a community, as a people of God together. I wanna start by reading the chapter two, verses one through 10, book of Job, okay? On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And just kind of as a side note, this is a almost word for word uh, repeat of what what happened in chapter one uh, where Job, uh, where uh, Satan and God have a conversation. It's almost a repeat. So there's a kind of formula here and it's setting us up to see, okay, what's gonna happen next? But there's something else going on here. In chapter one, God says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil. And in chapter one, Satan says, yeah, sure. That's because you give him everything he wants. The only reason he fears you and follows you is because he gets what he wants from you. If you took all that away, he would just Turn his back. and he, In fact, he'd curse you to your face. And so God says, okay, let's see what happens. And so God says, okay, you can take whatever you want, but leave him alone. And what happens is the most incredibly awful things. We're told at the beginning that Job is uh, has seven sons and three daughters, that he's the wealthiest person in the land, that he's well respected, all that stuff. And in a In a blink of an eye almost, it seems, all that gets taken away. His seven sons, his three daughters die. His crops are destroyed. His buildings are destroyed. And he goes from being the wealthiest man on the earth to being homeless. All of his children, gone. And you would think that that in the face of that kind of trauma, that that kind of calamity that uh, Job would just kind of go to pieces. But chapter 1 closes basically with this, with this. Naked I came into this world, and naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Naked I came into this world. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave. The Lord took away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Then we get to chapter 2. And same kind of thing. Satan comes before the Lord's presence. They have a conversation. Have you considered my servant Job? God says to Satan... He is, you know, morally upright. There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, Satan, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. He still maintains his integrity. But then Satan just cries out, yeah, right, but skin for skin. Skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you. He will surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he's in your hands but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, They're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. and In the second letter, 2 Corinthians, in chapter 2 of that letter, He uh, asked the church, "In course, to forgive a man who had sinned against them. He'd sinned in some pretty big ways, and they weren't sure they wanted to forgive him. And he says to them, forgive them. Why? In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. What I want to talk about this day, this morning or afternoon, is being not unaware of Satan's schemes, being aware of Satan's schemes. we're gonna be talking about his schemes, his agenda, his schemes and his limits this morning. Part of the wisdom we receive from the book of Job is about how Satan works in the world and in our lives. The Bible is clear that the idea of the devil, is not just a myth, it's not a fantasy, Satan is real. He's real, he's active, he hates God and he hates everything God loves. That means he hates you, he hates me, he hates human beings. He's clever, he's creative, he's sneaky, he's a liar. But the Bible is also very clear that Satan is limited. He's limited in his power, he's limited in his knowledge, he's limited in what he can do. He's limited. He's under God's authority and he is defeated. He is to be taken seriously. He's not to be taken too seriously. So verses one through six, chapter two verses one through six, you have the situation where Satan approaches God, Satan and God have a conversation. And uh, in that conversation, Satan makes another accusation. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still maintaining his integrity. Why not? You took away all his stuff, but you didn't do anything to him. Skin for skin. He's willing to let other people die. It's himself that as long as he preserves his own life, he's fine. But touch him, and it's going to be a completely different story. Touch him, and he'll curse you to your face. That's what's going on in the first six verses. So God says, okay, you can touch him. You can do what you want to him, just do not take his life. Satan is sure that if he puts enough pressure on Job, Job's gonna crack, he's gonna fall apart. And God's sure that Satan could do what he wants to Job, and Job will maintain his integrity. So Satan leaves God's presence and he goes into the world, he puts his hands on Job, and from the soles of his feet to the top of his head, Job's body just breaks out. And as you read through the rest of the text, you find out, that the rest of the book, you find in various chapters, you find out that everything physical in Job's body screams. It screams in pain. Satan puts Job under the most intense physical agony. And that physical agony is on the heels of all the emotional agony and brokenness that Job is experiencing because he lost his family and everything else that was important to him. If any man was going to fall apart, that man would be Job. Moving on to near the end of the chapter, the passage, all this is going on, and Job's wife comes to Job. And she says to him, Honey, Job. Job. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, commentators aren't sure what's going on in Job's, who can be sure, what's going on in Job's wife's mind and heart. Some of them think that she's just really, Angry, furious with God for allowing this stuff to happen to her. I mean, think about what happened. She's a mother. Seven sons, three daughters, she bore them. She cared for them. And they're gone. She was well respected in her community. And she had every physical thing that, you, that anybody at that time could have. And now she's homeless, no place to lay her head. Because it's all destroyed. And her reputation in the community, not that great. Her husband is on the edge of town. So when he, and it says he sat among the ashes. What, what commentators think that means is that he went to the outside of this, of this town that they lived in, the village, whatever city. And he's sitting in, in the dung heap where they burned their trash and other stuff. It's a it's a place of exile. He's an outcast and now she's outcast with him. So maybe she's just really angry with God. Maybe she's really angry with Job. Maybe maybe Job really did something to deserve this. Who knows? This doesn't make any sense. How do you make sense of this? Maybe he actually did something. Maybe she's angry with Job. As well as with God. Maybe it's something else entirely. Maybe it's not so much that she's angry with God or with Job. Maybe it's that she's looking at the agony that her husband is experiencing and it's killing her, it's breaking her heart. She's looking at his suffering saying, Job, let go. Just let go. You don't have to keep enduring this, just let go. Curse God and let him kill you. That would be, even that would be better than this. Some of us have had the experience of seeing somebody we really care about, somebody we really love, who's in agony. They're going through life and they're just in intense agony. Physical, mental, psychological, emotional. They're in agony. And sometimes in your heart of heart you say, maybe it would be better if the Lord took him. Maybe it would be better if the Lord took her. Right? So maybe that's what's going on with Job's wife when she says, just curse God and die. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. It took place between the 3rd century BC and the 1st century. Now, there's a... There's substantial I mean, mostly the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures follows exactly the way our, the translations we tend to use now. but there are sometimes some differences, some additions. There's an addition in the Greek translation of the Hebrew text in, in uh, this particular case in the Book of Job. Here's what the Septuagint adds. Then after, it adds on to uh, verse 9 of uh, Job chapter 2. Then after a long time had passed, his wife said to him, how long will you persist and say, look, I will hang, out, hang on a little longer while I wait for the hope of my deliverance? How long? For look, your legacy has vanished from the earth. Sons and daughters, my womb's birth pangs and labors, for whom I wearied myself with hardship in vain. And you, you sit in the refuge of worms as you spend the night in the open air. As for me, I am one that wanders about and a hired servant from place to place and house to house waiting for when the sun will set so I can rest from the distresses and griefs that now beset me. Now say some word to the Lord and die. Maybe the subtugent has it right in this case. Maybe that's what's going on in the, the mind of Job's wife. We don't know. There are a couple of clues, though, in, even in this text, that suggest that maybe it is right. So look at the way Job responds to her. He says, You're talking like one of the foolish women. You're talking like one of the foolish women. He doesn't say, you are a foolish woman. He says, you're talking like one of the foolish women. And then he says, should we receive good from the Lord and not trouble? He includes her. Should we receive good from the Lord? Should we also be ready to receive trouble from the Lord? He's including her in it. He's not, he's not jumping all over her. And then another thing, when you get to the end of the book of Job, chapter 42, there's the epilogue. Now, some of you know that what happens after this is that Job has some friends, friends who visit him, and they give him advice. And at the end of the book, God speaks to those friends, says, you know, your advice Stinks. And you sinned, you sinned both against Job and against me, and you need to repent. And he names those friends by name. He says, You all need to repent. And so Job prays for them, and uh, they repent. What's interesting is that Job's wife is not mentioned among the people who need to repent. Maybe that's a clue that God's okay with what Job's wife said. It seems to be the case that it's okay with Job that she said because he doesn't get harsh with her. He just says, look, you're talking like one of these foolish women. This is foolish. You know that. Should we receive good from the Lord and not also be willing to receive trouble? And the text ends with Job did not sin in all that he said. He maintained his integrity in the midst of unimaginable human pain. He maintained his integrity. He didn't allow Satan to rip him apart. And he didn't allow Satan to separate him from God. Now, why doesn't he just curse God and die? Part of it is because he knows. Chapter 1, naked I came into this world, naked I will depart. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be pro-. He knows that he didn't deserve anything that he had. God gave it to him. God gave it to him, or God gave him the capacity to earn. To to acquire it, it all comes from God in the end. So he knew that he really didn't deserve it. It was a gift, it was grace. Chapter 2 Should we receive good from the Lord and not be willing to receive trouble? He knows that, you know, he has received good, he's grateful for it. He knows that God is good. There's a kind of a wisdom that he has and a trust that gives him the ability to trust in God. He knows at the end that God, regardless of what's going on, he knows that God is good. That's his rock-hard foundation, his certainty, his hope. God is good. He doesn't know why, why what's happening to him is happening to him but he knows that God is good and God is allowing it there has to be a reason for it. There just has to be a reason for it and he doesn't need to know what that reason is. The only thing he needs to know is that God is good. And for Job, that's enough. For Job, that is enough. Now, I'd like to invite my daughter, Jenna, to join me up here for a couple of minutes. Uh, Many of you know that uh, Jenna uh, spent a number of months uh, overseas. She left in August, got back in December. She was working with a Christian mission called ELIC English Language Institute China, Uh, except she wasn't in China. She was in Cambodia and Vietnam and in uh, Lebanon. Well, she left in August. And uh, um, my wife, Leslie, and I got a text in October. And the text said, My throat is closed up. I can't breathe. I'm trying to call the ER to get to the ER. And my wife had her phone, and she's texting back, Jenna? Jenna, where are you? How are you? And there was nothing. She, we got the text and then kept sending text to her and we didn't get any response back. Uh, hours went by. And then finally we got a text saying that she was in the ER and they'd given her something to open up her throat. She was breathing again. But um, she had given us a couple of clues prior to that that, that she was not feeling well but we had no idea how bad it was and it kind of came out in the weeks and the days and weeks that followed that she was really, really sick. And so I want to turn it over to her now and have her talk about that a bit and then I'll come back.
1: Well, the good news is I'm alive and I'm standing here today. So um, it was a battle, but it's, it's a blessing to be standing here in front of all of you today. Um, So, praise God for that. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. so before I went on this journey with um, ELIC, I always thought I was blessed with pretty good health. Like, I'd been to China four times before this, and I never had any health problems or anything like that. It was just something that I never had to think about. But as my dad was saying, when I was in Vietnam... I have no idea what was going on. I just all of a sudden got sick, and I don't want to go into details about the symptoms or anything. It just um, it started off mild, and then it just kind of spun out of control, and as the months went on, it just got worse and worse. Um, I saw seven doctors. They didn't know what it was, and it was just really um, a terrifying moment, and I was really... I was angry at God. I was confused. I was, I felt abandoned. Um, I didn't know why I was on this um, trip only to, only to be sent back home because my sickness progressed to that level where I, I just couldn't um, serve anymore. So the organization, unfortunately, um, had to send me home. And during those moments, I, I kept hearing this voice saying to me, um, you're a failure, you're weak, God has abandoned you, he does not love you, and I, I was just beside myself, I, I didn't know how to react to any of this, and you know, for a while, I thought about this, and those voices, um, that voice just kept coming back, and eventually I was like, you know what, not today, Satan, He is not going to win this. Um, He has no authority over me. Although God has allowed the sickness to um, enter my body, he is sovereign. And I eventually, after arguing with God all these times, um, and I'm sure everybody in this room, everybody goes through tragedy in their lives. There could be something going on in your life, and you might feel that you've been abandoned as well. And... I just want to encourage everybody here today um, to let to release that burden. It's a liberating experience when you're going through um, suffering to just give it all to God and to trust in His sovereignty and His plan. It's easier said than done, but I'd also like um, I'd like to share a verse that I really um, it really spoke to me during this time because at times I felt that God didn't love me and maybe sometimes when you're going through tragedies you feel that he doesn't love you either but Paul wrote to the Romans um, nothing in all of creation can separate us from God's love that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord so thank you back to you dad
0: While well, all this was happening with, with Jenna, so she we first got a real sense for what was going on with her in October. She came home in December, so there's several months went by. They seemed those months seemed like they took forever for Leslie and me. Everything in us wanted us wanted to say to her, just come home. Just come home now. Get on the next plane, come home now. And we didn't do that because we weren't really sure that that's what God had for her. And we were trying We were trying to listen to God. We were telling Jenna to try to listen to God. And, and we just didn't know. We didn't feel like we knew enough to be able to say that God wants her home. Because we all know that God does use suffering sometime, to do something in our character that only suffering suffering will produce. And so we were trying to trust God here, just as Jenna was trying to trust God uh, abroad. I think it is true. Even in a few months, even in a little time It's gone on that we've seen some changes in Jenna, and maybe there's some changes in Leslie and me, but the fact of the matter is what we rested on was that God is good, that God loves our daughter more than we love our daughter. He knows what she needs more than we know. He knows more of what she needs than the doctors know. Um, she's So since she's been back, she's had all kinds of doctor's appointments. They found some stuff in her and uh, she's working, they're taking her through a process. She has been getting uh, better, she's substantially better, and uh, um, Lord willing, she'll be completely recovered at some point. Um, but that experience has opened up new levels of compassion and understanding for Jenna as she interacts with people it's done the same for Leslie and for me as well. And that is a gift from God. I suspect that the devil wanted us to say to her, Jenna, just come home. To short-circuit God's process, God's work in her life, just come home. And if we had pushed her hard, she probably would have come home. You know, much earlier. It's interesting. Satan says to God, if you, you touch his body you bring affliction to his body and he'll curse you to your face and then what he does is he puts job through unimaginable pain and has his wife say to him curse God and die so god so satan influences job's wife to put pressure on job to turn away from god job is so nasty that he will even use our loved ones against us in our walk with God sometimes. And so we have to be aware of Satan's schemes. We have to ask ourselves, is this from God? Is this just from us? Sometimes God lets people suffer not because he doesn't love them, but because he loves them enough and believes in them enough that he's willing to give them tough love to help them become what God created them to be. And that works for children and it works for their parents as well. Some of you, I know, are suffering from stuff, not just for two or three months, for two or three years, maybe two or three decades. You've been dealing with heavy stuff for a long, long time. Do not let the devil convince you that God has turned his back on you, because he has not and he will not. God is good. And he's with you. And the evidence, the demonstration of that is that what God did not allow in the story of Job, God allowed for his own son. His son left everything behind and came to be with us. And a day came when He allowed himself to go through unimaginable human torture even to the laying down of his life. And that is a demonstration to us, of the fact that God does love each of us even in the midst of our pain and sorrow and brokenness and tragedy. He loves us. He does not abandon us. He will not abandon us. And one day he will raise each of us up. Let's pray. Father, we, we're just grateful. We're grateful, Lord, that you are worthy of our, all of our love and trust and devotion. We're grateful, Lord, that we can count on you in all things. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. And even though we don't understand lots of what you do, we can know that, Lord, you are good. Lord, sustain us with your love. Remind us of what you've done for us in Jesus. And help us to stand firm and resist the attacks and the schemes and lies of the devil. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.